0: Uh, Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are excited that you are here with us today and we would love for you to be a part of what we're doing at Chanel. So if there's a a ministry, an idea, or something that excites you, let us know. Uh, And we want to make that happen because we're excited about uh, Chanel right now. So this morning I want to start with a story and I'm going to ask you briefly to think about when COVID started. I know. Scary times. I don't like to think about it either. But for the sake of this story, I kind of need you to go there. And so in March of 2020, kind of when all of the COVID stuff started, remember it was the, the 15 days to slow the spread. I think that was when the toilet paper wars began. Um, but in, in those, those serious times, and they were, but we were all doing stuff from home. A lot of us were working from home. Uh, this church, we were worshiping from home. And I found myself at home on Sunday mornings for the first time in, I mean, my life. That's not like a weird, humble church brag. That's like, I just, I've never been at home on a Sunday morning. Um, It's not like attendance stickers or anything like that. But I was at home, and what we would do on Sunday mornings is we would do a, a teen class from 9 to about 9.45, a Zoom call. Like your kids, when they won't wake up in the morning, remember that they were doing that then. But they were waking up at 9 to 9.45 to do basically the class that we would normally do here on Sunday mornings. And then I would switch over to what we call Big Church, of uh, kind of our main worship service. And at, at 9.45, the class was ending and the kids were like, no, no, more Bible. And I was like, guys, we've got uh, so to, to switch over. And so I'm getting ready to switch over and I'm working in the front room of our house, which is kind of where our front door is, thus front room. But uh, I hear a knock on our door and and I'm like kind of rattled a little bit because I'm never home on Sunday mornings and I think like this must be something important if somebody's knocking on our door about you know 9:45 on a Sunday morning. And I'm excited because I'm like, oh this never happens, I'm never here. Like, who could this be? And I open the door and it's our next door neighbor. And I'm thinking, this is weird. I, does she come to our front door every Sunday trying to talk to us? And we just never answer. And, you know, should I tell her what we do on Sunday mornings? Like, and, and so I so, said, oh, hey, how are you? And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you on a Sunday morning. Um, but uh, your little guy was riding a scooter at the intersection of Echo Valley and Millbrook, which is a, a pretty busy four-way stop uh, close to our house. Now, when Craig, you know, asked Judah to do a backflip, I was like, don't tempt him with a good time, Craig. Because he, he, Judah thought about it. He he's like, maybe, let's see. And, and so uh, that's kind of the kid that I'm talking about right now, of Judah. He's, he lives recklessly. And we love him for it, but he, he does. And, like, we're frequent flyers at the emergency room, and it's just who we are. And so, like, when she says it, I'm like, I'm mad. Like, I know that my face was getting red that I was already like, pre-planning the discipline in my head and expressing the disappointment uh, that I have in my boy for riding his scooter in the middle of the road, which is kind of like parent 101. It's like, let's not go to the road. And, and so she's like, look, I, I'm not trying to you know, cause any you know, issues with you and the boy, but like, I, just, I knew that you wouldn't want him doing that. And when I was coming home, I, I saw him and I, I brought him out here. And I'm trying to show my appreciation to her, to hide my anger and frustration with my son. And I just say, you know what, thank you. It's great to know that we have neighbors like you that care about us. And so I turn to look at my boy, because I'm like, it's coming, son. Like, you know, it's like Old Testament wrath is coming. And I've never seen the kid before in my life. (laughs) And I look and and I say, I've never seen this kid before. And she goes, what? And then she looks at the, this, the boy, she looks at me, and looks back at the boy, looks back at me, and goes, this isn't your son. And I go, yeah, I know, it's not my kid. Never seen him before. And then she goes, whose kid is this? And I go, I don't know. And then she goes, what are we going to do about it? And I was like, nothing. Like, I know too many lawyers, like, this is an accessory. Like, I'm not participating in this. And so we, we actually, we go to the road, and we go back to the road where the kid wanted to be in the first place, but we go out to the street, because I go, look, I promise you, in like a minute, we're going to hear like a mom screaming, like, where's my baby? And basically, like a minute later, we heard that, of like, where is he? And what had happened was the kid had just, he got a good click on a hill, and just kind of came down a whole block, um, and found his way to the intersection. And I tell that story to kind of talk about the times where you feel like something has changed in, in, in your day. Maybe it's, it's some, maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a, a knock on your door. But you know that in this moment, the direction of where you thought you were headed is different. I know for that moment when, when that lady tried to help me kidnap that boy, I thought, my day has changed completely. But the early church experienced something similar to this, where things were going really well for a little bit. Like, they were growing, they were excited, the the community had come together, they were one. Like, remember we've talked about how Luke, when he describes the early church, he talks about how they they had everything in common. They had differences, they had differences of opinions and preferences, but their unity was overshadowed that difference so much that it looked like they had everything in common. And for me, when I look at the early church, especially in the context of Acts, I see things changing in chapter 4. And the text begins in verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. Now, this, I don't know, kind of the, the community that you hang out with, but normally when somebody goes to jail, the, the tide has changed. Things of, You know you need to kind of evaluate what's going on with your community group. And in this context, that to me is when things start to change for the early church. It's when Peter and John are jailed. And we find out that they're jailed just because they are annoying, annoying these, the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and these people here. But this is when things change for this church. It's that, that fight or flight moment for a lot of these early believers. Because The people that they are listening to, Peter and John, are now in prison. They are now targets of the government, and they have to decide, are we going to commit to this? Are we going to hang with these guys and fight through this challenging persecution and situations that that we find ourselves in, or are we going to go somewhere else? Are we going to abandon this mission that we believe in because things are difficult? And in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, "...but many who heard the message believed." So the number of the men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now think about that for just a moment. Kind of the two prominent individuals as this community grows are Peter and John. They're they're imprisoned. And there's this moment where they have to decide, are we going to be a part of this? Because things are getting real. We're not just singing songs and having fun, but now people are actually going to jail because of what they believe in. And the text in Acts 4 tells us that, it's not just that they believed, but it invigorated the community because they were willing to stand up for what they believed in. It's something exciting and captivating that you see as the early church develops and grows. It's not out of fear. It's out of excitement and courage. And as we see in just a little bit, out of boldness. As we, we talked a little bit last week about Peter delivers these sermons, and he does it again in chapter 4 of Acts, starting in verse 10, verse 10. Peter continues, Then then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which must be saved. He delivers a sermon and they start talking about it. Then in verse twenty-seven, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, not, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Think about that for just a second. This community likely had fear and anxiety in this moment. Maybe even doubt of like, where is this going? Or have we kind of hitched our wagon to something that is going to cause persecution and fear and, and put us in danger? But in that moment, what they asked for from God was boldness. They didn't want to exist out of fear. They wanted to exist in the feeling that they knew what they were doing was right. They believed in it to the point they're asking God for this boldness that continues stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Think about that in just a moment. Like Think about that for just a second, about how it's changed drastically with the arrest. And when we, we see this idea of these individuals being arrested, we, our, our knee-jerk reaction is to think, hey, guys, get out of there. Find new leaders. Find people that aren't going to get arrested. But what the early church leans into is no, they say, God, we need you now in this moment. When things look dark, when things look challenging, when things look scary, God, when we can't figure out where you're leading us, God, we're asking you to speak in this moment. God, let the Holy Spirit work through this community, through these people, And because of that, they're able to speak boldly. I love this about the early church. They don't let the challenges destroy them. They don't let the things that maybe look difficult overcome them to the point where they think, how are we even going to move forward? Rather, they lean into where God is leading them, and they come out of it bold. Another pressure that comes for the early church is when the apostles begin to be persecuted. In verse 17 of chapter 5, then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. I love this. I love any time that you see human emotions like this, like that we at times are jealous of things. And think about that the high priest and his associates and the Sadducees, like they were jealous of this movement. Like that's how you know you're on to something, right? Like that's how you know that you've got something good that these individuals are jealous of what you're doing. Says so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And think about this for just a moment. We're back in jail. It's like round 2. They're back in jail. And it's, again, another moment where if you're a, an early follower of this movement, if you're part of this early church, you've got to think, look, I could get past the first jailing, but now you're back in jail. And you have to think, like, the momentum is kind of destroyed as well, right? That we've just asked for God, the Holy Spirit, to come through. We've just asked for God to give us the ability to speak boldly with what you've taught us. And then in chapter 5, Peter and John are again in jail, but then something miraculous happens with this angel of the Lord releases them from the jail and tells them to go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life, that, that bold energy that you see from the early church. You don't do this if you're living in fear. You don't do this if you don't believe this. You do this when you recognize that God is moving through you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, therefore, in the present case, this is Gamaliel talking after they've been released. They they come to them and they say, okay, what are we going to do with these guys? We we are annoyed, we're jealous of them. What do we do with them? And so Gamaliel, a Pharisee in the council, comes before them and he starts kind of delivering his side of what they should do. Gamaliel says this in verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Like, this is a guy who is like, I don't know what we're doing here, friends. But these guys have got out of prison twice. And they're still growing. They're still preaching. Like, they are emboldened. They believe this. They're all in. They are not afraid of us. He says, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. And this is the line that I love. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It's not just the early church that's starting to believe this, but it's the people that they are affecting in their lives. Like Gamaliel gets this. He's recognizing that, guys, there's something divine that is happening in this movement and these people. They're not afraid. They're emboldened. And look at how they respond. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, I've included the whole text, but just based off of what we've studied this morning, that that idea of them telling them not to speak the name of Jesus, like, we already know. These guys are like, you can say it all day long. That's not how it's going to happen. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That, That feeling of boldness. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They've had all of these outside factors that are affecting this church, where fear, where, where persecution, where physical pain is coming into play, and they're not afraid. They're emboldened, they're ready to move forward. They're willing, they're willing to say, "Hey, regardless of these challenging circumstances themselves in." going to work through it. This is the community that we are building. Not one of division, not one of fear, but one that is strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the the challenges of the early church aren't always external. And we see that a little bit in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, I, I would never critique a biblical writer of the gospel by any means, but I'm going to. Um, because Luke does something here that I think is really interesting, is he glosses over a a major conflict that the early church is having. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, what Luke does is he just powers through, and he basically says, like, and then we figured it out. But what's actually happening here is a, a racial division, in this church. Now, Luke doesn't want to really lean into it because he's applauded and and praised this church as being, they're unified. There's nothing that would divide this congregation. But in chapter 6, we see that, where the, the factors from this point forward, or before this, had been basically external. But now you've got internal conflict. You've got division because these people are like, you think that you're better than us. You think that because of where you're from or where your family's from that you, you have more stake in this. And because of that, you're overlooking the widows in our community. Verse 2, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Uh, in, in, in Greek, I think this is called passing the buck. Um, and that's kind of what they're doing. They're like, I don't want to deal with this. We're going to have somebody else to but this idea of waiting on tables, what they, they don't have like a cool like Peter and John you know, deli shop. But what, they, what they're talking about is actually delivering food to the tables of these widows. Um, but you see what they're doing is, look, we, we can't deal with this situation right now, but we're gonna get people that are going to resolve this conflict. Now, I showed Rob a picture earlier and he got very excited about it. Let's go to that first picture. This is a bike. Um, Rob was like, tell me about this bike, and I was like, Rob, that's not how sermons work. You got to wait for it. But this is a, a Van Moof bike. Uh, this is an electric bike. It's going to sit you back probably $2,000, $3,000, and it's a, a Dutch company based in the Netherlands, which is, is where Dutch people live. But uh, anyway, uh, it's a, a Dutch bike company that makes electric bikes. Um, And around 2015, their business really exploded. Now, this is a bike that if you live in a larger urban setting, like this is, you're going from like work to your office to your apartment, like this is, you probably don't want to be cruising down Cantrell Road with this guy. But, I mean, maybe you do, I don't know. But in 2015, their business kind of exploded, and they became kind of popular internationally, and they started having to ship all over the world. And so, let's go to the next picture. That is generally what a bike box looks like if you order it um, online. And uh, it's a, you know, you kind of assemble it yourself. It doesn't look very fun right now. Um, and this is not an electric bike, but I'm trying to get you to understand, like, this is the size of the box. Now, what was happening with the Van Move Company was when they were shipping boxes across the world and you know, in America or whatever, they found that shipping companies did not care about their bikes. Um, and so products were landing in America. They were damaged. Um, often the, the bikes were unusable, and so they found themselves in a situation where they were losing a ton of money, because they were having to replace the products. And also, like even when they would send the replacements, sometimes the replacements would be damaged. So what the Van Move company decided to do let's go to the next slide is they just put a picture of a TV on their shipping boxes. Now, this seems like a a ridiculously small thing to do, because this is literally all they did. They did not change the the internal packaging. They didn't change anything else. All they did was they started printing a TV with a bicycle on it. And overnight, they said 80% of their shipping issues were resolved. Think about that for just a second. Over 80% of their shipping issues were resolved because they put a picture of a TV with a bicycle on it. Now, I I tell that story because I think it's fascinating that often what happens is they could have said, look, we clearly can never ship a bike to America. Every time we try to ship a bike to America, it, it it lands damaged, we're losing money, our products are being ruined, nobody wants to buy from us. But what they decided to do was they said, look, let's solve the problem. Let's look at this and figure out what do we need to do to fix this. And that's exactly what the early church does in Acts chapter 6. They could have just said, look, you guys, you're divided. Let's just do two different churches. If that's what we want to do, we'll have the Hellenistic church, the Hebraic church, two different churches. That way, everybody's happy, everybody's alone. But what the early church does in verse 3 of chapter 6 Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And think about that for a second, that often when we find ourselves in challenging situations, it's so easy to leave or abandon those and say, hey, this isn't my problem this is your problem, or I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to deal with this, or I don't like this thing right here, so I'm going to go find somebody that likes the things that I do. And so you enter into this, this really fun echo chamber where you're never challenged, you're never uh, working through conflict. And what I see in the Acts chapter 6 model here is they're willing to look through the, at the problems and confront them and say, okay, we're not serving any, everybody, but how do we serve everybody? What do we need to do to fix this so we can still be a community of believers that are bold? You do this. You work this way because you've leaned in and you trust in the Holy Spirit. The text ends in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now I, I thought about that a lot this week when I looked at like, kind of the challenges of the early church. Because they had them. They had challenges both external and internal. They they faced persecution. They faced division. They faced faced arresting. They also found themselves divided amongst themselves. But instead of abandoning these situations, they leaned in and thought, hey, this community means so much to us. That God is working in this community. It would be wrong for us to abandon it. It would be wrong for us to just leave and take the easy way out. Like sometimes, maybe you just got to figure out a way to put a TV on your shipping box. But you've got to be willing to work through the conflict in those situations because that is the model that we see in the early church. Not abandonment, not living in fear, but trusting in the Holy Spirit and following where God leads you to provide you a path to resolve conflict and disagreements. Let's stand and see.